This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. The Ohio State Buckeyes lose in the college football playoff national championship game to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Doug Maurice in my basement. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird at Hard Rock Stadium. Is that what it's called? In uh, Miami mm-hmm. Gardens, Florida. Correct. Where Alabama rolled. Uh we have a gazillion questions. We're not going to get to them tonight. We're going to get to them in the next podcast. We already just worked it out beforehand. We're recording this just before 1 a.m. Tuesday morning slash Monday night. We're going to get up Tuesday morning and do another one, a longer one with questions. Right now, we're just going to talk about what we saw, about what we heard. Alabama rolled. Let's get quick reactions. Nathan, your overall reaction to what you watched tonight. Impressive in terms of Alabama, in terms of uh, Devontae Smith. Um, underwhelmed by Ohio State's inability to respond to it really in any way. I know that I was the one of us, even though we all picked him to win a national championship here, that was the most skeptical of this defense. I thought tonight was an opportunity for them to kind of make a, a lasting statement on defense, even if they didn't win this game and even if they made it competitive and they didn't. They they got completely run out of the building. What do you think, Steven? I think this might be Nick Saban's best offensive team ever. And I also think that uh, the Big Ten doesn't do Ohio State in favors, both on and off the field, especially defensively. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that those are your reactions. First of all, it is 100% Nick Saban's best offensive team. That's not in doubt. It is probably Nick Saban's best overall team. It is probably the best team of the best coach Ever. And what did anybody think this Ohio State defense was going to do? It's not the 52, man. It's the offense couldn't keep up. I mean, like, what what, what did we expect? They didn't have Tommy Togiai. They didn't have Tyreek Smith. We've watched this secondary all year. So uh, I will say I am I am surprised by the tone of both you guys because here's where I am. And I'm everybody can react however they want to react. You are a fan. This is part of being a fan. I feel like I'm back in 2006 and 2007. And that was not a real fun time to be an Ohio State fan because Ohio State was the second best team in the country and nobody enjoyed it. And that's where I like cut my teeth 
on this beat. That was life. My second and third years on this beat that you go and you compete for the whole thing and you're not good enough and everybody's miserable. And that's what this feels like right now. Half the texters want Kerry Combs fired. People are exasperated with Ryan Day's play calling. And I don't know what to tell you, man, because here are your choices in life. You can win it all. You can lose to Purdue or Iowa during the regular season and never get a shot. You can lose a game to Clemson last year where you thought you were better and you lost. Or you can get to the national title game and get rolled by an all-time great team. So every all the heartache everybody was was dying inside that they lost to Clemson the way they lost last year. This what is what might have been waiting in the national title game a year ago. You think Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris are good? Let me introduce you to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And it killed Ohio State fans to not get that chance. And now you got the chance and you weren't quite good enough. And everybody's like, you blew it? I am very surprised. I'm not surprised. It's, I don't think it's the tone that it reflects reality. Alabama is a monster. There were a couple things on both sides of the ball that were against Ohio State in this. The Tyreek Smith and Tommy Togai absences mattered. The secondary recruiting lulls in the 18 and 19 classes showed up tonight. We knew they had holes back there. And the Heisman Trophy winner was unstoppable. Now, we have plenty of time in the next week. And I wish Kerry Combs had been available in the postgame, and he wasn't. I'm a little disappointed when Ryan Day gets rolled out and we don't get any other assistance and you roll out the kids and make them face the music on this. We need to talk to Kerry Combs about this. Wasn't a great plan, but what are you supposed to do? I don't know what you're supposed to do. So Nathan, I understand that like, okay, the idea of the Ohio state defense had a chance maybe to rise up and show something. They're not good enough to do that. I mean, are you like, are you surprised that they didn't? I'm not surprised that they didn't. That's what I said too. And I didn't, I didn't, my, my tone was not one that Ohio State blew this again. I think it, it was just evident that, yeah, I mean, this is just a different level of team. Um, you know, I think Ohio State, I, I play this game 10 times. Do they win one? I, I don't know. Even with Tommy Toga, even with Tyreek Smith, I think there was just that much separation. But I also think that, I mean, so then you're saying best case scenario is they play this out and maybe Ohio State finds a way to lose 52 to 38. Like, is that like the best case scenario at the end of, that we're looking at here. And that still to me says that this defense still, I don't know, you're in a championship game. You got to find a way to, to interrupt them in some way and, and, and give yourself a chance. They didn't have a chance to win this game after halftime. You think they'd win one. What was your score that you predicted? I didn't say Not after watching this tonight, I'm skeptical. I said 47, 44 Alabama coming in. Okay. So you said Alabama would score 47. They scored 52. And Ohio State, you said would score 44. It didn't come close to 44. The way Ohio State wins this game is by scoring more. That's how they win this game. What was your call, Stephen? What was your prediction? 55-50? Yeah. And, All right. And so you got the Bama it. score basically yeah. right. You were, you were four touchdowns off on Ohio State. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think it's the Ohio State offense that played further below expectation than the defense. They, uh, that's the question, Nathan. Which played further below their own level of expectation, realizing, of course, the Ohio State no, I, offensive expectation is higher. Absolutely, the offense. Absolutely. But, because, but also because the expectation was higher, and especially coming off of what they did against Clemson. So, so Stephen, so when we did this pregame thing, mm-hmm. I said this was about the Ohio State offense because it's about the Ohio State offense keeping up, and they didn't keep up. They kicked a field goal when they it was 21-14 and Garrett Wilson was open in the end zone on first down and Justin Fields missed him. Mm-hmm. 
And then we get, we haven't even talked about Trey Sermon's absence yet. Yeah. Then they hand off to Master Teague on second down. He gets two yards. Now it's third and eight. And they end up throwing a ball where like Justin holds it for a little bit and then throws it complete. Then they kick. It's 21-14 right there. They're right there. And that gets a little sideways. They've got to convert in the red zone there. I'm not saying you're ever going to stop them, but you've got to hang. You, can, they got, you can't ever get three scores down, and you can barely get two scores down. But they hit a little lull there offensively. Steven, what do you think played further below the level of expectation, offense or defense? Easily offense. I, I think watching these last two years, watching Ryan Day play call, I think I've learned something about when something goes wrong, it kind of all goes downhill. Last year when J.K. Dobbins is running all over Clemson, it's everything's wor- working smoothly. Even the, even the passing game, all that's running smoothly. Obviously, J.K. Dobbins is great, but he goes away, and all of a sudden the play calling goes kind of sporadic, and you're kind of looking at Ryan Day like, what are you doing at times? I felt that way sometimes tonight when you, lo- you lost Trey Sermon the first drive of the game. Okay, so now you know you're not going to have him. It's not like with J.K. where you had him for a half and you lost him. Master T comes in, and it just never seemed like things got into sync offensively with the play calling. Justin Fields wasn't bad tonight. He was decent. Um, the offensive line kept him clean. It just never felt like the play calling was ever in sync, and it's because you lost an explosive running back two, two or three plays into the, into the game. Yeah. How much did we talk about Trey Sermon the Literally. whole week? He's <laughs> like the whole game. Yeah. He got hurt the first carry. I, I am not – with the consensus on this. I don't know what they're supposed to do. The defense was vulnerable and they got rolled by the uh, the one, three and five finisher in the Heisman. And then their offense, the guy who's the key that unlocks the balance of the offense goes out on the first play. And then Master Teague's like running straight ahead. He's doing fine, but he's not explosive, right? He missed I mean, the hole. That. He missed a wide open hole and ran straight into defenders. That was That was bad. I thought that Ohio State had a chance. I thought it was a toss-up before the game if Ohio State – I didn't have the if. I thought it was a toss-up because I was sort of now – we weren't sure going into the Clemson game if they what their best would look like, and they played their best. And so now they showed it. You know what it looked like, and I thought if they, if they played that, a pretty close version of that, they'd have a chance. And Nathan, like, they didn't play pr- very close to that version of that. Did you – what did you think of Justin? He, he wasn't – they didn't throw deep. They never really took a deep shot that did anything. Now, I guess I don't know if you guys saw the look there. Was Alabama just playing them deep enough that they were taking away the deep shots? And I think Ohio State was doing that a lot to Alabama, taking away the deep stuff and allowing the underneath stuff. But they liked taking those play-action deep shots. They never got to do that. He, they, they missed the one to Wilson in the end zone. They didn't have the, any of the explosive run plays once Sermon was out. But Justin was just like kind of okay or, or good. He certainly wasn't great or spectacular. What'd you think of Justin, Nathan? I thought the pressure affected him again. I thought it was similar a little bit to what we saw in some other games this year. Um, you know, the stats that we saw from ESPN at halftime about what he was doing against pressure against blitzes. I mean, all quarterbacks, that's, that's why you blitz. It's, it's supposed to throw them off, but um, even more so than you would expect from him, especially considering just how, how precise he's been through his career, how reliable he's been through his career. Um, it affected him uh, even on, uh, even on, you know, short window stuff, short, short yardage stuff, um, more erratic than you would expect. And in a game like this, the, the margin of error is just too small. You can't miss on, you know, third and short and, and you, you, you throw it too high on a, or you overthrow master T on a screen. It was just little things here and there. But in a game like this, where the other team 
is scoring every time they touch the ball. It just adds up too quickly. It was just, it was it was they were the Clemson tonight from from the Sugar Bowl. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about what the people said after the game. We were on three different Zoom calls. Wasn't great. Wasn't done great. It was a little weird. Um, but I guess they were doing the best they can. We'll talk about what Ryan Day, Justin Fields, Jonathan Cooper, Sean Wade, Chris Olave, Jeremy Ruckert, Nicholas Petit, Frere, and Tuff Borland had to say. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. I don't know if people are going to remember this score. 52-24. It's like 41-14 was seared into people's minds. 31 nothing to Clemson in 2016 is seared into people's minds. I don't think like the 2000, I don't know, I don't know off the top of my head, the 2007 National Championship game lost to LSU. That was kind of close, but not really that close. I don't know what that score was. I don't know that this one's going to be seared into people's minds. I know it's actually one point of a big, one point larger than 41-14, but they did hang around for a while. So I want to talk about later, it's what I wrote after the game, like what this says about the program and where they are. But I do want to communicate, since it just happened, what people said. We split up the Zooms. Nathan, you were in the one with, with Justin Fields and Ryan Day. How would you describe their mood, their vibe? Did they feel like they blew it? Did they sort of take it in context? How were the, How were they? You know, for on Ryan Day's side of things, you got the vibe of someone who there was some exhaustion there, maybe, and and he expressed that sentiment too um, to a question, basically saying that you know, yeah, they've already started to put together a schedule for the spring, but everybody kind of needs to just get lost for a while and and get away from from all this, go see their family, get get a break. It's just been a long mental grind for them, and tonight it was a, a long physical grind for for sixty minutes against what Alabama was able to do. I think there was also some of that, um, even though we, we didn't get them until a half hour after the game. So maybe reality had settled in a little bit, but anytime you come in and you you're confident and you think you probably have a game plan that can give you, give you a shot to win that game. And then you just get pummeled like that. There's always some of that, like just shell shock a little bit. And there was still some of that evident too. I think, well, what, cause what can you say at the end of a game, it's 52 to 24. What are you supposed to say? You, you just say, we just got run over by a, a monster tonight. Steven, you were in what with uh, Olave and Ruckert yeah. in the offensive Zoom? How were they? Um, not as sad as they were last year. I, I, I think I agree with Nathan with that, that the way he put that. I think a lot of exhaustion. It's been a long year, and a lot of these guys haven't seen their families in months, and they kind of got over that, that hurdle with Clemson, and this would have been kind uh, It's crazy to call a national championship a cherry on top, but it seems like that would have been the case given what Ohio State had been going through the last couple of months here. So – Disappointed they lost, but nothing that seemed – it's not like last year where I think we all walked out of the locker room thinking that, man, this is going to haunt them for the next year. What did uh, what did Justin Fields say specifically, Nathan, about like maybe not being – not having the kind of game that he had against Clemson? I think he threw for like 180 yards, didn't throw six touchdowns. What do you say? You know, he, he admitted that he wasn't feeling uh, – hundred percent by any means, um, you know, so the, he prepared. so the rib, so the shot to the ribs yeah, or whatever I think it's it was. More the hip. I think it's a hip more than the rib. Yeah. Cause he was even, he was even grabbing the hip a little bit tonight during the game when he took some shots and um, you know, he, he tried to not make that a big deal, but he's always been relatively honest about that and said that it was something that was an issue this week. Um, 
that he could have been healthier, but what are you supposed to do? You got to go out there and play. And I, you know, I tried to ask a little bit about what exactly, you know, it seemed like, like I said, Alabama bringing some pressure that was disruptive to him. And he gave kind of a non-answer to that, frankly, just kind of um, moved along. So um, he didn't get into a lot of specifics about what it was that, that he felt like that Alabama was doing to, to cause him problems. But really, you know, fairly early in this game, you know, like middle second quarter, like the pressure's on, like every time you touch the ball, you have to score. Cause now they're up 17 on you. And like you're saying, like that's, you can't give a team like this, that kind of gap and expect to be able to, to come back. You're putting just too much pressure on your defense at that point. You know what the part of this is you guys are, are you, you're both in the press box right now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you're no, trying to use no, sort of, no, are you trying to use press box voices? Kind of. We're in, we're in whistle pig, rye whiskey, <laughs> Bar. Yeah, we're in like no, yeah, we're down in one of the restaurants on the second level of the Hard Hard Rock Stadium, and you're both like opposite corners. Yeah. You're both wearing masks. Yeah. yeah, you sound like you're in a library a little bit, and it makes you sound disappointed. It makes you sound a little <laughs> disappointed in the team. Well, you know, the Buckeyes just didn't play up to their standard today, and I'm like, get out there, try their best, but I'm just screaming in my basement, so I can, <laughs> I can have more inflection in my voice. That's what it is. I've realized. You guys are in sad library voice. Yeah. So listen, yes, here now here's the thing too. Yes, they lost by a lot of points. And yes, they got down in the first half and they got into chase mode and they were kind of chasing, right? But they did, after holding Alabama to a field goal to start the third quarter, they did come down and score very quickly. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. Like I think it on was a pretty a impressive drive. A minute and seven seconds, if I if I'm correct. So it's it's thirty eight to twenty four, and Devontae Smith is walking to the locker room. Yeah, but at that same time, still, Alabama's marching. Like they still can't stop them. Correct, and that's but that's middle of the third quarter. They're down fourteen, and the Heisman Trophy winner just dislocated his finger. And Nick Saban said after the game that they dislocated it and they couldn't get it back in. And then if they could have get it, gotten it back in, whatever, he would have played and they couldn't. So that's why he stayed out. But if they could have gotten a stop there, then they were in it. Because you're down two scores. All you have to do is get a stop. They even got to a third down right away. They got to a third and two, and then Mac Jones completes a 22-yard pass to his tight end. I think on a play where he got a good matchup and was running across and run across the field. So on one hand, like they're kind of right there. On the other hand, if I had different bone structure and I lost 60 pounds and gained 20 pounds of muscle, I'd be Ryan Reynolds. So like uh, candies and nuts and ifs and buts, it's like, oh, they were, they were like never going to get a stop. So like on one hand, they're still kind of there. On the other hand, they were never going to get a stop that mattered because there was a drive where Devontae Smith went out and then they were playing the backup running back. And the backup running back looks like a Mack truck. He's running people over like a maniac. Hmm. So it just like that wasn't going to happen. It was going to have to be a shootout, which is all we talked about and anybody talked about all week. Like, Stephen, did you think how close was Ohio State to to staying in the shootout longer? Like if, if the idea is Ohio State wins one out of 10, I mean, the way that they win more than one out of 10 of these matchups is by scoring right with them the whole time. Steven, did you think Ohio State was kind of a long way from that or not that far from that? Not not after they got that – they forced them to a field goal and they came down and scored quickly. I was thinking, okay, they're going to score points here, but if they can hold them to another field goal, 
and then put the um, it was a minute and two seconds. If they can put together another drive like that after holding Alabama to another field goal, then you have something there because then maybe anything can happen. Maybe you cause a random turnover, like when Baron Browning got the strip sack, something like that can happen again. But put yourself in a position where now Alabama feels like, okay, we have to score a touchdown here to kind of give us some a little bit more comfort and a little bit more room here because we don't feel comfortable with this lead. But it, when that when that didn't happen, when Alabama came back down and scored again, that kind of took that off the table. But part of it, though, so so and again, I, I was sort of saying before the game, it's not I didn't think it was going to come down to like big turnovers or whatever. It's like who can force a punt every now and then. So Ohio State. Kicks the field goal. Alabama comes down and scores a touchdown. It's 28-17. Ohio State gets the ball back down 28-17, and they start playing this game late in the first, in the second quarter where it's sort of like, is Ohio State going to call timeouts to try to keep a drive alive, or is Bama going to call timeouts to try to force Ohio State to punt? And they go three and out there. And I think, Nathan, you mentioned, I think that was one of them maybe where Justin missed the he, did he miss a check down or did Master Teague drop a screen or something? But they threw to Master Teague on first down. It was incomplete. And then it was incomplete to Garrett Wilson on second down. And then, by the way, Marcus Crowley is in on third down, and they go three <laughs> and out. Then Bama scores another touchdown, and the next drive is Marcus Crowley, Marcus Crowley, Marcus Crowley, who, like, has not played the whole year. So it's like, how would they have competed? It's like if Trey Sermon is getting the ball there – Instead of Marcus Crowley, or if Master Teague's getting it as Trey Sermon's backup, instead of Mar- Marcus Crowley getting it as Master Teague's backup, because Marcus Crowley's not even the third man up. Mayan Williams is a third man up, and he's back in Columbus. But that was there was just a little bit right there, Nathan. They were right on the edge there, and they just I think they had a little bit. They got a little loose with a couple short throws, and then the running game vanished, and they ended up doing three. They did two, three, and outs, and like that was game over. Yeah, I mean, there was a point late into this game where they had, I think, targeted running backs four times, and the only reception was that one on third and long for four yards to Marcus Crowley. That was it. Now go back one game to the Sugar Bowl, and those checkdowns, those late-release things that they got with Trey Sermon were huge. were just huge. I mean, it was a massive part of the offense, really the first time it had been all season. So maybe it was um, unrealistic to expect that to happen again for sure, but – yeah, I, I think we're going to look back. It, it's so bizarre to think that in November, where this team was as a running game, where you thought that you maybe even talked yourself into, you know, what they do with Marcus with uh, Master Teague, and then maybe he gets spelled by Trey Sermon, and they just grind it along, and maybe that's still good enough. And then you saw what they could be with Trey Sermon, and it was like, oh man, like now this is something new. Like whatever he's turned on, it's something new. He's he was one of the photos on the poster outside of the outside of Hard Rock Stadium. Like we would never have guessed that in early November, mid Thanksgiving, we would never have guessed that. And then to just have him yanked out of this. Um, after everybody else they were already missing coming into tonight, to have him yanked out of here on the first series was um, in, in retrospect. And I know that they like to say, hey, we want all of our backs to be able to do everything. But right now, Trey Sermon was able to do things that Master T couldn't do. He had clearly shown that. And so to take him off the field at this point was a detriment. Alabama made Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson a non-factor for three quarters. And actually, really the whole game. I know Chris will finish with eight catches for 69 yards, but – I think it was about the third quarter, and then he had a catch. I'm like, I'm looking at their stats. I go, Chris Olave has three catches and three targets. Wait, that's his first catch since, like, the first quarter. And, yeah, he missed Garrett Wilson on that touchdown. But even before, three, three seven targets and only three catches for 50 yards for Garrett Wilson. Some of that is missing Trey Sermon. But that 
those two together has been a lethal combination all season. And yet, for some reason, this is the first game. Both Neither one of them reached 100 yards. What do you mean some reason? It's Alabama. It's not <laughs> some reason. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, you said at the top, and it's like, I agree with you, but it's like, oh, the, uh, the Big Ten didn't do Ohio State any favors. It's like, I was like, oh, Rutgers and Nebraska and Michigan State didn't mm-hmm. get Ohio State ready for Alabama? I mean, it's like, I don't, like, like of course. Of course they didn't. So did you ha- – where, where are you – as you watched it, Stephen, did you have a lot of problems with play calling? Did you, did you feel like there were multiple times where you thought, okay, they just called a run there. Why did they call a pass? Or they just called a, that kind of throw. Why didn't they call this other kind of throw? Where's the deep shot? Why is it not coming yet? Were you thinking that multiple times during the game? I just never – I was wondering where the rhythm was because I always feel like this season I've been able to kind of go along with the game and guess what was next. I could guess when, okay, play action's coming right here or – you know, outside throw right here, maybe a screen's right here, or an outside run zone, or an inside zone here. You could kind of find the Ryan Day's rhythm. Ryan Day's rhythm is kind of easy to catch on to. It's just hard to slow down, obviously, because there's talent all over the place. But you can kind of follow along with it. And I never had a moment in this game where I was like, there was a six or seven play stretch where I could go, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Even if it didn't work, I was always able to do that. And today, I never felt like he was in sync or I was in, I'm not a coach obviously, but I never felt like things were in sync where you could follow it along pretty easily. You know, how, how a game can play out for him. I mean, they went, they went eight yards, 75 plays on their first yeah. touchdown. The Baron Browning thing. That's pretty big. Baron Browning had a pretty big stinking play. Oh yeah. Cause they were going to go 21 to seven, 100%. So that was big, but then they also got burned. It's like they blitz Baron Browning and they got Baron Browning made it's an incredible individual play. Blitz, sack, force the fumble, recover the fumble. That's the quadruple threat. And then they score right after it. But then he blitzed later and they threw like a little, they flipped a little pass to Najee Harris right where he blitzed from. And Najee Harris ran down the sideline for a touchdown. So we had talked about on the podcast in the pregame of like risk reward. Are you going to sit back? But without Tyreek Smith, without Tommy Togiai, they probably did need to take some risks. One time it worked and it got him a touchdown. One time it didn't work and it cost him a touchdown. So that's part of it. Nathan, I thought they had depended a lot on the Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togiai interior pressure and Haskell Garrett by himself. Tommy Togiai wasn't there. It didn't feel like Haskell Garrett's name came up a lot. It didn't feel like the middle of the Ohio State defensive line was getting in Mac Jones's face very much. No, I I agree with that. And I I agree with – I think it affected really the whole defense. You know, I know that people were asking or – yelling at us on on twitter about or on text i should say about um why why aren't they playing more nickel why are they leaving their linebackers in to get dusted by these receivers and i kind of think it was a damned if you do damned if you don't situation i think you're already compromised on the defensive line i think that probably entices you maybe to try to keep your linebackers in as much as possible to help support against the run by the way their their running game is usually pretty tremendous um but th- but then you're exposed. You're exposed to those receivers. If you if you bring in more corners and and have you know an extra corner on the field and take Tuff Borland off the, the field to play against the run, what's he going to do against Najee Harris? You know, what I mean, like I just feel like it's. I, I, I it, it, looking back on it, I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I don't really know what they were supposed to do. Alabama 38 carries, 157 yards. Najee Harris 22 for 79. So it's not like Najee Harris ran wild. Him, yeah. But they he hurt him in the pass game. Najee Harris also seven catches for 79. 
really huge. And then Devontae Smith, again, set him on fire in the first half uh, and then hurt his fingers. 12 catches, 215, three scores. John Mechie, eight catches, 81. Jalen Waddell, three for 34. It was not a huge factor. You know, I think you had to pay attention to him when he was in there. He looked like he was about 50% healthy at best, limping around. And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people were saying, yes, Steven shouldn't have been out there. That's the guy that's a top 15 NFL draft pick. And it's like, what's the point? But I wish, and Nathan, I want to, I want to get this from you because you were in the Ryan Day Zoom, and then we'll take a break and come back with the last segment about Kerry Combs. Ryan Day was the only coach that talked for Ohio State, and I did see on Twitter people were saying he did get asked about the defense and their plan. And his answer was what? Basically, we we tried to sort of stick with what got us here. What what did he say about their their defensive scheme? Well, it was I asked him, and it was a combination of things, really. He said that they did do some things that – they introduced some things where they wanted to change things up. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what he cited. I think it was, you know, they did bring some pressure a few times. Um, they did play more two safety stuff than is their, you know, base look usually. But he said that they did also, you know, the quote was, but we wanted to make sure that we were doing the same things that got us to this point, And it still wasn't good enough. His, his other point was it's one thing to have some different ideas. It's another thing to execute them, which I think is is telling us who are, you know, not football PhDs the way that he is and, and the way his coaching staff, I suppose, is that just because, I mean, they, they probably did do some things, but it doesn't necessarily matter sometimes when you're on the field with Devontae Smith. And, Steven, if, you, and if you don't execute what, what, what you've come up with. Steven, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I don't agree with that, that we make sure we do what got us here because to the point I was saying earlier, the Big Ten does you no favors. You don't play passing attacks like this. Even Clemson, you don't play passing attacks like that. The only you just in the end, it just happened to have Michael Penix. The Big Ten doesn't give you opportunities to try a lot of different things defensively because you're going to see a whole bunch of different looks, which is why you can play a single high look and have just base defenses who can just stop the run because that's all you're going to get in the Big Ten, which is, I mean, that's the conference they're in and that's what they have to deal with. So you, but you, whatever you do to get to here, you most of that you can't do on defense in order to win a national championship. But, but in the end, it also didn't have Najee Harris, also didn't have the best offensive no, line no, in the country. No, no, I mean, you're right. You're right. I'm just saying, like, this is a ridiculous passing attack. But in the future, you're going to play other passing attacks when you get to this level. And most of the stuff you did that got you onto this stage isn't going to work because of, because of the style of teams that you play in the Big Ten. Let alone – forget the talent, just the, the, pro, the offensive approach that most of these teams take. They don't have the guys to do it. Yeah. It's a personnel issue. I mean, it's not like we're surprised by it. Did Marcus Hooker play? You know what? I wasn't uh, tracking personnel, teams. but he yeah, didn't. He doesn't stand I out mean, to he's me. He's healthy. He they, wound up in, they wound up in a spot with the guy who won their solo safety job out of camp, wound up unusable in the national title game. That's a decision they made. They wound up Marcus Williamson, who's their slot corner the whole season, winds up playing when they have two safeties back. It's Josh Proctor and Marcus Williamson. And the play everybody is talking about and tough got asked about it in the postgame. And, and it wasn't asked the right way. It wasn't asked at the right time. You were never going to get an answer the way it was asked. And I would have asked about it better, but it got asked before I got called on the play where Devontae Smith comes out of the slot and runs across the field and tough Borland ends up trailing him. I mean, it's not like, it's not like it's one-on-one tough Borland. It's a look they're playing where when Devonte Smith runs down the seam like that and tough Borland did say in that zone, look, the seam is vulnerable. Marcus Williamson's the deep safety there. And he bails on that area and goes and helps somewhere else yeah. and abandons Ohio state's 
slow middle linebacker covering the Heisman Trophy winner. And the safety who's there doesn't help. But Marcus Williamson hasn't been playing deep safety all year. But what are you going to do? It's like, I think that's exactly what Ryan Day was talking about when he said, sometimes you have the right idea, but if it doesn't get executed, what are you going to do? And I'm not saying that that wouldn't have given up a, a, a gain there anyway, but they didn't draw it up for tough Borland. They're not uh, stupid. They're not stupid. <laughs> like they don't draw up plays for tough Borland to try to match up one-on-one and trail Devonte Smith down the field. They don't do that. It's what happened as though that play developed. And like you said, the safety help wasn't there and that's what killed them. I think that's exactly what Ryan day was talking about that. Sometimes it, no matter what you draw up, the execution isn't always there. And this is a secondary that has had execution problems all season. Now where I do think Steven, you have a very good point is the idea of, the last two times they've lost, they've played an elite team on the national stage, and it feels like their base defense isn't going to work. So last year, they wind up playing two safeties, and Josh Proctor winds up in tough spots, taking bad angles, missing tackles, because Josh Proctor has never done that before. And they're asking him to be a second deep safety alongside Jordan Fuller when they had not asked him to do that all year. So that time, they did change their defense when they got to a passing game. But then what they asked the new guy to do, he'd never done before, and it couldn't do it, and it hurt him. This time, they change a little bit, but maybe they don't change enough. But the bottom line is, and I think this is a good way to frame this for the offseason, when we talk to Ryan again, when we talk to Kerry, you have, for the last two years, played this style of defense that feels like it will not work on the national stage. So just because it does work for the first 8, 10, or 12 games – What's the point? Because you're either going to have to change it and have guys doing things they're not accustomed to doing when you get to money time, or you're not going to change it and it's not going to be good enough. So why are you doing it to begin with? Why are you playing a single high defense against Minnesota and Indiana and Rutgers when you know it's not going to stop Clemson and Alabama? That is a very reasonable approach, Stephen, which is what you're saying. Yeah. So then why do it all year long? And I think that's a question. And again, here's, and, and you know what? We'll be right back. All right, back on Buckeye Talk last segment. We're verging into Kerry Combs territory, which is where all of the, I mean, we're out. We were talking about the tech subscribers. Listen, we've been dropping the tech subscriber number on you guys all year. And you guys have responded. We love it. I mean, I can't even, the last three things we sent out at the end of the game when you add up the total number of replies that we've gotten to them, it's 576, 976. It's over 1,000. It's over 1,000 replies to the last three texts of the game. And we started, people started bailing. We were over a certain number of tech subscribers. And by halftime, by halftime, the tech subscriber number was going down because people were like, I don't want to get texts about this. So we get it. We thank everybody who tried it. We thank everybody who stuck with it. We thank everybody who's been there all along. We thank anyone who is thinking about trying it for the offseason because we're going to keep doing it because we've been doing it for a long time now. 614-350-3315. But a lot of the texts are about Kerry Combs. And some people question whether he's made for this. Some people are calling him an energy coach and a recruiter, and they're saying he never should have been a coordinator. Some people want him gone. And I don't think that's fair that's where that's not where I am. And I am the assistant coach. What do I say? I don't want to call myself the assistant coach firer, but I think I've earned Humbler. some 
The assistant coach humbler. Yeah. I mean, like nobody else on this beat holds assistant coaches to the fire like I do, yeah. which I mean, I don't know that that's good or bad, but it's true. So I shoot you straight. That's practically what I'm known for is ripping assistant coaches to their it, to them, to you. And I'm not there with Kerry Combs. Now, I like Kerry. I'm not best friends with Kerry. I've known him since he's been here. We're not buddies. So if I think it's a problem, I'll tell him. I'll ask him about it and I'll tell you. I don't think we're there. I understand the questions. And there were some questions when we started. And sometimes if you ask when he got hired and sometimes you ask those questions and everybody yells at you for asking the questions. Why are you doubting him? He's never been a coordinator. He's a great recruiter and a great technician and he relates to his guys. He's never been a coordinator, but it's a short season and he doesn't have his guys. And Nathan, that's where I am. Number one on this is it's a short season and they don't have as much defensive talent as they usually do. And they're fixing that the recruiting is coming. So I do not think this is a time to judge him. I judged Ed Warriner and Tim Beck right away in 2015 because they were taking over as co-offensive coordinators of the defending national champs, and they had everything you could have asked for, and they didn't know what to do with it. So I was on them from the jump, and I was on Zach Smith that year too. This is not that. This defense is not that. This defense did not return Jeff Okuda and Chase Young and Malik Harrison and Jordan Fuller and Damon Arnett. So, Nathan, I am not jumping to Kerry Combs is not the guy. I'm not saying he is the guy, but I can't say he's not the guy based on this performance in year one of him being a coordinator. No, I agree with that. And I, I quibble slightly with one thing you said earlier about the single high defense not being able to achieve at this level. I would argue that it did last season against Clemson. I don't think it was the single high situation that lost in that game. I think it was a Sean Wade ejection and the ripple effects that lost in that game. Now, they would have got on the same stage against LSU, and I don't know that it would have mattered single high, double high. Give them 12 players, maybe it doesn't matter what they play on defense at that point. But So it's it's a slight quibble. I, I understand what you're saying uh, overall there but again i was the one who said back in whatever month that was that i don't i don't know that this 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 collection of defensive backs can win a national championship it couldn't like it, it wasn't going to beat this kind of team the, these defensive backs weren't and coupled with that this pass rush was a step down and then you take tommy togay out of it then you take tyreek smith out of it they just weren't get, they didn't get make Mac Jones uncomfortable at all tonight. He could do really whatever he wanted, but that's also the Alabama approach is to get it out of there quick, the, the precision stuff, firing it around. And the combination of those two things, I thought just the fact that he was completely comfortable against defensive backs that um, are not national championship caliber. They just, I, they just aren't. I don't think that's like a, I don't think they're bad people. It's not like even a shot at them as football players. It's just like, this is what, this is what you're judged by. This is the guys you have to defend. And Ohio State didn't have those guys on their roster this year. Where are you on this, Stephen? I mean, do you you understand, Stephen, if people are frustrated with Kerry Combs? Do you understand it? Or would you even say, no, 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 don't even go there at all? And do you think what level of, like, questioning does he deserve? I I get it. Steve Sarkeesian basically worked you the way Ryan Day has been working for Venable the last two years. So I get the the frustration. But I do agree that these aren't his guys, and this isn't the best version of what their secondary is going to be now. I'll be paying close attention, especially to those two safeties next year, because I think it's going to be Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom, and those guys will have plenty of experience back there next year. We'll see what the corner who's starting next to Seven Banks, but I do next year. I think is when you kind of put that put him under the fire a little bit because it'll it'll be a more talented secondary, I think, 
and he'll have a year under his belt. And I, and hopefully, knock on wood, some things can get back to normal and we'll have a normal 12-game season and we'll be able to judge him correctly and not off this makeshift season where one day you've got one guy starting and then you lose him because of COVID, but then you've got to force a guy who maybe shouldn't have been starting in the first place off to the bench once that guy comes back and you've got a true freshman playing who wasn't playing the first three games of the season. So I do think uh, it's going to be interesting to watch the secondary evolve next year. Cause Sean Wade, does Sean Wade say something about it? He's got to think, I mean, he's gone. I mean, what yeah, is the, like, yeah. like what Sean Wade's going to come back again. No, that's not happening. So seven banks, if seven banks is your number one corner, it's like, okay, maybe. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Is, is seven banks, Jeff Okuda. I don't know. The Cam Brown injury clearly hurt them this year. Clearly hurt them. But Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos, Lathan Ransom at safety, as you said, Stephen, there are some young guys who got to do it next year in the secondary. Now, they've got it all. They, I mean, they just they recruited 60 Bs in the class of 21. They know, but, but I don't know that all of them are going to be ready next year. But they know, and they know they need, need more pass rush, and Jake, Jack Sawyer's coming, and JT Tumalau might be coming. Right, Stephen? Yeah. So, well, like, they – The talent's coming. They, they, the they know. Bright. It's Ohio State. The future's bright, but – Next year is where, I mean, that, that 2020 class is going to have to grow up a lot faster than they should have because of recruiting misses. So I do think, so the, the main thing I want to end with here, so, so in general, Combs, you've got to see. I, I understand the frustration. People want us to push him on it, and we will. But the other thing to remember is this is Ryan Day's defense. As soon as Jeff Halfley left last year, and it was like, oh, you're losing your defense. Ryan Day said, it's my defense. My defense. It's not Jeff Halfley's defense. We run what I say we run. So Kerry Combs, yes, responsible for sure. But let's not, we can't let Ryan Day off the hook defensively just because he's an offensive guy. So I think they have to think about whether one safety, Deontay Lee, who's a great follow on Twitter, who was, did some pregame stuff for Clemson, Alabama for us, who did the whole breakdown on the single high safety in the offseason that brought him on this podcast. He has talked many times and tweeted many times and written for us many times at cleveland.com how rare this is. There are not many colleges. There are more colleges playing three safeties than one safety. This is what Ohio State has decided they want to do, what Ryan Day has decided he wants to do, and he might have to evaluate that. He might. He might have to think about that this offseason. So that's one thing. They have to be better. They have addressed the recruiting. More secondary talent is coming. I don't know if it'll all be ready next year. This half puts me on alert for a grad transfer in the secondary for next year. I don't know. But, like, if you said, hey, some all – ACC cornerback from Wake Forest is coming to start for Ohio State next year. I wouldn't be shocked, right? I don't know. I'm just saying Kendall Sheffield, who was a one-time Alabama recruit who went to junior college, showed up here and played right away and was pretty darn good. I'm just saying, because I don't know. If you said right now for sure, who are your three corners next year? They're going to make this secondary great. I don't know who they are. Seven banks in camp. Real quick. Go ahead. We don't know what's going on with LSU. And Elias Ricks was a five-star who was basically an All-American this year. And since we don't know what's going on there, um, that name was thrown around a couple weeks ago back around signing day of what he might decide to do given LSU's situation. I'm just throwing it out there. He was interested, highly interested in Ohio State coming out of co- high school. Him and Legend Cavazos shared a defensive backfield at IMG, so they know each other very well, and Legend Cavazos loves to recruit. If something happens there, I'm not saying it is, but if his name pops up in a transfer portal, I would not be surprised. You know, we don't want to lose a last He's important to the LSU uh, fighting Duggars, and he's going to be a Tiger next year in the Bayou. So that's a great point. But I, that, that's be on alert. Let's be on alert for that. 
Um, but the thing is, so this is what I wrote after the game. And I understand people are mad. People are more angry than I thought, actually. So let me, let me, before I get to my thing at the end, is it possible, Nathan, that had Ohio State beaten Clemson last season and the game people thought they should have won, that this is kind of what the national championship game against LSU would have looked like? Or no, 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 no. Because Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, Malik Harrison, Jeff Okuda, and Chase Young, and Davon Hamilton would not have allowed it to look like this. Or were they, were they in, would they possibly have gotten burrowed and people would have ended up viewing that team differently? I think there's a greater chance that last year that that defense would have been able to interrupt LSU a little bit more. I don't know if they would have been able to beat them, but I think they could have hung with them. I think just, again, that combination, Chase Young, the combination of two, the first two first round corners, I think they would have been able to interrupt more of, of what LSU could do, even even as talented as that offense was. What do you think, Steven? I think I agree. I think if Jamar, Chase, and Justin Jefferson would have had 100-yard days, they probably would have had 11 or 12 catches to go with it. But it wouldn't have been crazy explosive like we just saw today. Okay, but it would have been. But the point is they never got there. They yeah. never got there, so they never had to try it. And all you want is your shot. I'm such a believer in the shot. I think getting to the whole, getting to the national title game is the thing, almost more than winning it. Because if you don't, because if you get there, even if you lose, you know, nobody has any doubts about this Ohio State team. They know exactly what this team was and wasn't, right? Whether we're disputing if they would have won one out of 10 against Alabama or three and a half out of 10 or whatever. You got this far and it wasn't good enough. Last year always has, well, always have some doubts attached. Oh, if only they would have had a chance, right? That's the hardest part. I think the hardest part about being a sports fan and being a player and a coach is the regret that I, you never got to test yourself. They got as, they got as far as you could go and they weren't good enough. They were the second best team. I mean, does anybody doubt that the second best team, they would have beaten Notre Dame. Again, people are like, are sending some texts about like, well, at least Indiana. Do you know what Alabama would do to Indiana? I mean, do you have any context? Like, do you know what Ohio State would have done like to any other bowl team they would have played? Do you know what they would have done to Iowa State? You know, and again, I like- and again, we don't even know what Ohio State at full strength would have done against. I mean, again, I, I still think Alabama wins this game tonight if they have Toya and Smith and, and probably even Trey Sermon. I still think this team was just too good, but it wouldn't have been this lopsided. There are yeah. definitely some Texas A&M fans and players who were probably a little upset since it was the exact same score. Was it the exact same score? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, but also, but even that, it's like, well, see, but would yeah. Texas A&M have beaten Clemson? Texas no. A&M would not have beaten Clemson. Of course not. It's like one of those things. So anyway, so here's my thing in the end. I compared it to the, the three blowout losses on the national stage that I've seen in my time here, that 41-14 against Florida in 06, 31-0 against Clemson in the 16th semifinal and tonight. In 2006, the loss to Florida when Ohio State's number one the whole year. They had the Heisman Trophy winner. They're favored to win that game, and they get urbaned in that game. And it is, who are these defensive ends? Derek Harvey and Jarvis Moss are ripping apart the offensive line. What is this? And the answer is, this is the SEC, Ohio State, and you are not good enough. And then 2007, the next year against LSU, just reinforced it. That loss in 41-14 in 2006 told Ohio state something it told them that their talent level was not good enough to compete against teams like that. 
And the result was the 2008 recruiting class with Terrell Pryor and Mike Brewster and Mike Adams and ATN Sabino and JB Shugart and a higher Jake Stoneburner, a higher level of overall talent across the board. Devere Posey, they reacted to that. Jim Chesrell reacted to that. I think Ohio State fans in that moment knew it and they knew we can't keep doing the same thing. It's not good enough. That was the reaction in 06. 2016 is the second year of Beck and Warner and this offensive game plan. 31 nothing. Yeah, Deshaun Watson's really good, but they can't do anything on offense. They have JT Barrett, they have some receivers, and they cannot do anything. And in the postgame locker room, I asked Tim Beck, like, I can't remember what I said, but I basically asked if he was going to be back as a coach, and he wasn't. And he knew it. I think he had a job lined up already. Ed Warner, not back. You could not come back. After the 2016 getting shut out in that game, you could not come back with the same offensive coaching staff. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough in 15. It wasn't good enough in 16. And Bill and Ari and I stood on the field after that loss and said, maybe Chip Kelly will be the new offensive coordinator for the Buckeyes in 2017. He's friends with Urban. He just got fired. Maybe it's Chip Kelly. It wasn't Chip Kelly. It was Chip Kelly's understudy, Ryan Day, who came to Ohio State and made that better. Tonight, what does this game tell us about where Ohio State falls short against the best teams? Where do you, after this game, where do you go if you're Ryan Day and say, that wasn't good enough and we have to change? This game showed us something. We lack this. I don't think there is anything. At least not anything they're not already addressing. Secondary, yeah. Everybody knew that the whole year. You didn't need this game to know that. They're fixing it. Defensive line, not a special guy. Not a special guy like they've had with Chase and the Bosa brothers. We knew that. We talked about it all year. Jack Sawyer's coming. Linebacker, I think they can get a little more athletic at linebacker. Now, 21 class, not quite there. 22, they're, all they are is linebackers in the 22 class, Stephen. Yeah. Wait until C.J. Hicks and Desan McCullough get here, right? Yeah. We're going to change some things at linebacker. We know it. So it's the recruiting talent on defense, but it's already being changed. When you lose Trey Sermon, you, little need, you need a little more something dynamic at running back, don't you? This running back group without Trey Sermon tonight wasn't good enough. All right, Trayvon Henderson's, he's going to be in the dorms in a day. Whatever. I mean, he's coming. Trayvon Henderson's coming. They're going to keep the quarterback recruiting going. They're going to keep the receiver recruiting going. I don't think there's anything that this game – forces Ohio State to change that they weren't already changing. So it's not like 06. It's not like 16. Bama was too good as a team tonight, but I don't think as a program, Ohio State walks away with this and from this and says, we need to reevaluate what we're doing. Other than maybe they need to play two safeties. But that also includes, I don't think right now they have to reevaluate their defensive coaching staff. So that's where I am on this. That's why I think this loss is different than those other two blowout losses. Nathan, would you say there is something, not as a team evaluation, we know where they were short as a team, as a program going forward, reevaluation, does Ohio State need to rethink anything that this game proved? I, I don't think so, no. I think there were still, again, the problems that they had tonight were residual personnel problems that either they have had all season or that um, were exasperated by the people that they missed. Um, 
here just going into this game. You know, the, we have a lot of texters who have complained over the years about the athleticism of the linebackers or the play of the slot cornerback this year or the play of the safeties this year. And to say all of a sudden that Kerry Combs didn't take those players and make them um, a championship defense to go up against an offense like this overnight, um, I, I, I think is, is um, it, it's a tough ask. I think the best way to define this 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 loss is Ryan Day got to the national championship his second year with arguably the worst roster he's going to have. I think that's fair. Uh, and I think next year might be worse. Next year will be a worse roster. Are we sure? Yes. Mm. Are you sure? We're because not. Yes. Are, uh, I don't this. know if you can say that confidently. I think it's – yes, you're losing Justin Fields, and that's fine. I mean, Justin Fields is awesome. I'm not going to take any of that away from him. But Ryan Day has taken first-year quarterbacks, first-year starting quarterbacks, and turned them into Heisman Trophy candidates twice. So beyond – so at, at the very least, quarterback's going to be definitely. at least a little down at the beginning. Who's – Otherwise, I'll be curious how good the offensive line is. Depends, like, if Petit Freire comes back. They could be a little down the offensive line. If they lose, my, if they lose four starters, if Petit Freire goes pro, right, that'll leave some questions. Yeah, now, yeah, Par- yeah. now, Paris is coming. I mean, that's the thing, too. Talent-wise, they might be better next year, but there might be less experienced. It they depends how far, the safety, how far the secondary comes along. Because we know the secondary wasn't good enough this year, but I don't, we don't know exactly how it's going to look next year, though, either. I mean, they're also losing all three linebackers. Who the linebackers who were going to be here next year could never beat out for playing time. You're yep. losing Jonathan Cooper, who had a great season this year. You're potentially losing both Togiai and Garrett at defensive tackle. Um, I, I absolutely, I think the roster is worse next year as I stand here today. Absolutely, I think, I think that's annoying. The most annoying thing about covering this team is we'll say all this right now. They lost four offensive line starters after the 2018 season. And then ended up with the best offensive line in the country in 2019. So no, that's how this works. That's yeah, that, that's the most annoying. Thing. Nathan is you are 100 percent with right. a grad transfer with a grad transfer coming in. Yeah, but that right. was also that was also because they had had a hole in the offensive line recruiting that right. required them to get a grad transfer and play it. They don't, they don't have, have a hole. They should be pretty good to go, especially if Petit Frere stays and you get Paris and Petit Frere tackle. You have Harry Miller. Matthew Jones played pretty well when called upon mm-hmm. here. They got some guys coming inside. Luke Whippler is a top 50 national recruit. This, this is only, all the rules. I mean, we only, we only have – we only literally have – Yeah, we have so just months. to sum it up, this team breaks all the rules because, Nathan, you're absolutely right. All of that should be a problem, but – We'll be saying that now, and then nine months from now, it won't be an issue. No, I mean, it's not that they break the rules. It's that a different set of rules applies to Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State yeah. and applies to everybody else. So, but I don't, but I don't think this is, I don't think there's a fundamental hole in the program. And I think the last two times this happened to Ohio State, there was. That's my main thing. That's my main thing. Having lived through that, and I'm just telling you, if I thought yeah, it, I'd tell I, you. I agree. Yeah, and just to clarify mine, I think I, I look at next year more just like potentially a a a dip, not a hole, if that makes sense. Buckeye talk, a dip, not a hole. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I do think it go. makes me very curious. Ohio State, I mean, other than 2011, which doesn't count. You just got to throw out 2011 because it's not indicative of anything. They haven't truly had like a rebuild step back year since 04. I mean, when they had... 2002 national champions, a lot of those guys back in 2003 on a really good team. 2004, they go eight and four while becoming the team that is awesome in 05 and awesome in 06. They took them a year to figure that out. 
I don't think Ohio State is ever going to go eight and four, eight and four again. It's not going to be that kind of dip, but it might take a little bit to figure out, especially, you know, Oregon early in the year and that kind of thing. So, um, again, all kinds of time to talk about this. My let's close with this. I just, if you're mad as you're listening to this, if you started mad listening to this, I just would recommend a little perspective about where this season started. You got everything, honestly, for real. There's two things out of this season that Ohio State fans didn't get. You got everything else you wanted. You didn't get a Michigan game, and that stinks. And you didn't win a national title. But you got to play and beat Clemson. You got to play and win the Big Ten championship game. You got through the rest of your season. And you got to the national championship game, and you got to play Bama. That's what you want. And in the end, you weren't good enough against Bama, but that's it. You're good enough against everybody else. And I just, I, I, you, there are plenty of fans listening to this who lived through it. It was remarkable to me as someone who had never followed Ohio State, didn't know much about Ohio State before I started this job in 06 and 07, how good they were and how upset fans seemed to be about it. And that's the vibe I'm getting a little bit right now. And I think the difference is the recruiting's better. As we said, the ta- overall talent level is better. And I do think the offensive ingenuity is better. As good as Tress was, this offensive ingenuity is better. But just, I can't, don't live there. Don't live in the world where being the second best team in the country makes you miserable. That is no way to go through life, man. It's going to be okay. You'll remember this year for a long time. And your team played in the last game of the year. And I know people were throwing a word around like the word embarrassed, like on text and stuff at times. Bama's Bama, man. I mean, if anybody gives you any crap about losing like this to Bama, that is a that is like the monstrous monster that the greatest college football coach of all time has ever had, and that's and sometimes sometimes you lose, man. Sometimes you lose, but also I do think we'll finish on this. Nathan Ryan Day honeymoon. Are we we're just home? We're unpacking. We're unpacking. There. I think we already. I think I've used this analogy before. Maybe I thought before the honeymoon was over, but this is just like everybody's going back to work. You know, you're the, you don't have, you're losing your tan. Your your cornrows are falling out. Like the the t-shirt you bought like actually doesn't fit and isn't that well made. Your seashell broke in your suitcase and now you're just back to normal life. Like there's a I, people are a little down on Ryan Day as a play caller. Like this is, are we just back to normal life that now he's not he's just a regular coach now and people were people wanted to send Urban off in a rocket ship when they lost to Iowa. It happens to everybody. Are we know. there? Nobody, Day? nobody was complaining about him as a play caller when they put up 49 on Clemson. I mean, come no, on. I know they're complaining tonight. That's what I'm saying. No. That was still the last day of the honeymoon. Oh, now we're home. It's over now. I think there is an, I think there is a honeymoon period that ends now, but I don't think it's because of, I, I think it, it, there's almost, this was the natural end of it. He inherited a team as a head coach with a 2017, 2018 recruiting classes opened a window they were the you know the number two class in the country they opened this window of success that was there that, that seemed like a championship window and i think that the the 2017 senior cycling through ends that window a little bit and now you start a new one now it's now he's building as a head coach with his own recruiting classes building onto that but i think that's why the honeymoon period ends now you're just in the marriage now you are just you've established your feet are set in this relationship now 
your guys are coming in all, all exclusively your guys are coming in your stamp has been put on this program and, and how you want to play offensively and defensively now you've got to groom your own quarterback who you recruited and brought in from day one differently than it was with Justin Fields so I, I, I agree that the honeymoon period is over but it's it, not because of what plays he called tonight well spoken by a man who just got married yeah, it's not like they want a divorce. And I didn't get to, I didn't get to do my tropical honeymoon because of this stupid crap virus that's going on. But now you're home and you got to go like dig the car out of the snow and warm it up in the morning and scrape mm. the ice off the windshield and go to work. The and snoring then you come is home. a little louder at night. It's okay. Being married's great. It's not being on your honeymoon though. Okay, just don't be too mad, Ohio State fans. I I just really I mean I. If I thought you should be mad, I'd tell you to be mad. I don't really think you should be mad. This is an all-time Bama team. But I don't think we were wrong to say they had a chance. I really don't. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like this was a misread. I, they didn't play their best. You know, I mean, I think, I think Bama, you know, the Heisman winner broke his finger. He might have had 400 receiving yards. But I think Bama played like maybe an eight and a half. And I think Ohio State played about a five and a half of their own best. And then if you're playing a five and a half against Bama, you're just, it's not going to happen. So, all right. That's it. We'll come back in the morning uh, with uh, answers to questions. I don't know how I'm going to go through a thousand replies, but we appreciate them. We love them. Thanks for texting. If you want to try it out, we're going to keep going. 614-350-3315. We'll have this texture um, question pod next. And then I don't know what the rest of this week's going to look like. I don't know if we're going to go five days a week forever for eternity, five days a week for eternity. Buckeye talking. Nathan, just slid his resignation across the press box five days a week forever. When I came here, I didn't even know that. Was You're welcome switch. to do five days a week. I don't have to click on that zoom link when you said, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. Like we said, we did, we did been doing five days a week since April 1st yeah. previewing this season. So now this season ended and now we start previewing next season. So it's like, I mean, we've already done it. We have done a podcast five days a week oh, it, when there was nothing happening. I mean, it's crazy. It's January 12th. Last year, I think March 3rd was the first day of spring. So we have no time at all to start previewing spring football. Yeah. So yeah. here we go. So let's just, you know what? We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back to preview spring football practice next on Buckeye Talk. <laughs> We're going to break down the entire two deep that we think will be out there on the first day of spring. We're all going to pick our quarterback, and we're going to have to mark it down Monday. Do you know how many quarterback competition <laughs> podcasts we have? We're going to have to break the Stroud-McCord-Miller battle into like a hundred different parts. People don't know we can we can see during we have a, a site that'll show us like what site what stories we've written are getting traffic. And at one point during the game, like fourth quarter of the game, yeah. I looked on there and my something <laughs> I wrote about Tom McCord having a chance to compete for the starting quarterback job next spring was like the 16th highest um, story on, on all of cleveland.com. I will say this. I was down on the field just to, I'm not staking a claim in any quarterback yet, but being down on the field before the game and watching Justin Fields to make sure he didn't look like he was in any pain. CJ Stroud doesn't look like a, a freshman anymore. Him and Justin Fields kind of look a little, he, I remember back when we saw them before the world, shut down and I, call, I basically said CJ Stroud looked like Justin Fields little little brother little brother done grown up little brother's big brother now I feel like that would be the best way for us to approach this quarterback competition is for each of us just to adopt one of the quarterbacks yeah and then it'll feel like one of us will have personally won right I and think we should like, do that no save this this should be a pod oh 
I wonder who Steven's going to take. <laughs> I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I like I like two people. Well, I've talked to two people for a lot of times now, so I've built some relationships with them. That's true. You and Kyle are pretty tight. Yeah. So. All right. You're the recruiting guy. You probably get first pick. I get last pick. We'll see what happens. You know who was a last pick one time back in the day? Mac Jones. And he toughed it out. So don't give up on quarterbacks. All right. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll be back. Listen, it stinks, right? Your team didn't win. Memorable year. You'll be talking about this for a long time. Long time. And thanks for hanging with us during it. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>